Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 432. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hello there, Noah. Guess what? We have it's a, a good week this week. That's what I. That's is. what I'm guessing. It's big. It's it's large in size, Noah. It's an episode yes. that might be considered large. Uh, yes. And co- coming up in a little bit, Ryan Sipes will be joining us. He's got a big news announcement about the company he's joining, and we're going to discuss the Internet of Things like you've never heard it before. You heard our rant. Well somebody's rant last week, and uh, we're going to respond to some of that, take in some of your criticism and feedback, and talk about open source solutions to make all of this crazy stuff a little more manageable. But before all of that, in the news segment, we're going to break down some of the week's best news, biggest news, important news. We also have some feedback, and of course, Noah, you know what we got? Before all of that, Chris, we're getting to the picks. And apparently announcer guy voice, too. See what you've yeah. done, chat room? Do you see what you've done? Also, what you did. a big we shout out thing. to the JBLive.tv chat room, who is here rocking out with us on this Sunday morning and encouraging Noah to use announcer guy voice. Uh, <laughs> I've been, I have been looking forward. So I think it was on Thursday or, or maybe Wednesday, you sent yeah. me a telegram saying, um, I've totally got our runs Linux picked out, so... Uh, I got that covered. And I was like, okay, that's a tease because you didn't tell me anything more. And now here we are. So, Noah, introduce me and the audience. What is it this week that runs Linux? So this week, I, my, my son is starting kindergarten, and so my wife invited me to come uh, survey the school's technology. Well, oh, no. she called it something. She called it, uh, you know, the uh, meet the teachers or something. But really, what I'm sure what she wanted me to do was go survey the school's technology. Right. So I went to, to my son's elementary school, and I'm walking in, and I'm wholly unimpressed, right? I, first thing I do is I open my Wi-Fi app, and I get a sense of what they're using for access points, and I jot the model number down. That's a Cisco-controlled system. Okay, that's not so bad. But then I start going into the classrooms, right? And the first thing I notice is is they all got Macs. That's strike one. That's no good for Noah. And then the second thing I notice is we go into their little library computer lab area thing, and it's like four Windows XP boxes <laughs> and a couple of really old iMacs. Yikes. Obviously, like, this is not a comfortable situation for well, Noah. No, this is this is not going well at all. And so then I go, so I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm, I'm chatting with one of the, the staff members about how they're using the the uh, the classroom and, and why they have these uh, godforsaken old computers in here and whatnot. <laughs> and they're telling me that they use uh, this very uh, elaborate um, smart board system. And so it's a board that goes up, whiteboard that goes up, <clears throat> has a projector mounted on top of it that projects onto the board and it's oh, interactive. Yeah. I'm so you can with write it. on all this stuff. Yeah, okay. I'm familiar with so it. I, so anyway, so I, I, of course I walk up, take the model number down, do all that. And I'm like, all right, I got to switch this to Linux. How would I get this to run on Linux? There might, maybe I can, maybe there's an open source standard for it or something. So I contact the company and I'm like, here's the thing. My son, you know, he's going to the school and They've got all this super old hardware, and, and I, you know, I, you know, I'd like, I'd, I'd like to know at least how I could get this running on Linux. And the guy goes, "It runs on Linux." And I'm like, "Say what? Now? What? You mean like, I don't have to? Yeah. I don't have to do anything? It's all <laughs> there's already like, a Linux version." Yeah. And he's like, "Yeah." And so he sends me a link to their download section. He's like, "You can go download the software for free. It's useless to you without the, you know." Uh, $1,500 board that goes with it, but you can go download it, but it runs on Linux. And sure enough, they have not only a link to this, uh, uh, to this, uh, to the software, but it actually runs on the latest version of Ubuntu. So this isn't like Ubuntu 10.04 type of things. But so the company is called Promethean and uh, they make the Active Board 500. The Active Board 500 is what has the, the projector and stuff, all of that uh, interactive whiteboard. And the software 
is called Active Inspire. And basically what the software allows you to do is project an image onto the board. Whatever you draw with the special pen on the board, it, the computer can somehow capture what that where the pen is in relationship to the board and actually then make the, the draw a circle and then you can take your fingers and I can like I can stretch the object out or I can move it aside or I can bring pictures in and I can do all of that with my hands and somehow the computer can figure all that out um but it runs on Linux and I'm like that's super cool so Promethean Active Inspire or the Promethean work, software working with the Promethean Active Board runs Linux that is slick. It looks like Renegade Dave, who's in our IRC chat room right now, says his school uses that same setup. So uh, Promethean, you know, I don't remember the brand, but same kind of mm -hmm. thing. And they were also using old, old Macs and Windows XP to drive the thing. Mm -hmm. It's great to see them supporting a Linux version. And it makes you wonder if that, I mean, that's got to be in response to demand, Noah. Right. Well, I think that I think what it is, I think a lot of schools are looking to move towards uh, less expensive computers that they can give to the students. So in our school district, for example, mm. they're giving a lot of the kids Chromebooks. Oh. Um, and so my thought is, can I and and, and actually a Chromebooks and Dell uh, Inspiron nines with uh, Ubuntu on them? Really? And so, yeah. And so my thought is, can I come up with, a, you know, there, I might be able to see if I can work something out in where UltraSpeed can donate a certain amount of machines that are pre-installed, you know, with oh, Linux. Oh, boy, and, you were about to go down up. a path. You were about to go yeah. down a path. And I, 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 I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But uh, yeah, you know, actually, I, in my experience, school districts, if they if they find a parent who's actually very savvy and very resourceful and not mm -hmm. just, I think it should be done this way, because that yeah. that's the majority yeah. of what comes into school districts are parents that right. think they know how it should be done. Very mm -hmm. few of them will actually come in and spend some hours during the summer or spring break or winter break. And right. that's when the districts are doing their biggest network overhauls. That's when they mm -hmm. need an expert in there. And that's your right. opportunity to go in there and say, well, you know. We could do this with XYZ, and it's free, mm -hmm. and it's it's a perfect opportunity to sort of be at the at the ground level there. That's exactly. super cool. So uh, maybe a direction they could take. So uh, now, have you informed the school that they have this option? What's next? I the uh, so the it, the guy that is in charge of the entire school district was actually <laughs> my teacher when I was back in high school. He's like, he oh, was, I remember this guy. Well, he was teaching networking one two, and the, the thing is, there was there was four classes. It was networking one two three and four networking one and two you actually learn things and then years three and four you worked on yeah like yep. doing things for yep. the school whatever they wanted yeah. you to do um and so uh, the, the last two years that i spent with him i he just he gave me things to do and then i accomplished them yeah uh and so we you know that's how we ended our relationship you know 10 years 15 years ago whatever so, so on good terms but, Really? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, and I ran into him, and I, 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 you know, I started the conversation. I said, you know, I'm, I'm here, and I'm, I'm doing huh. independent networking uh, contracting in Grand Forks, and so, oh, okay. And I said, yeah, we should get together and chat. And I remember so, uh, you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> Did he? I uh, I here's the thing. I it wasn't a spotless record. I did uh, I wound up in, <laughs> What? So no. Had, so the, the, two things that got me in in a lot of trouble. The first was I had these uh, these small little access points that that uh, I had taken uh, from work. They had given they were old ones that they had given me and I had put them in our science lab so that I could get Wi-Fi on my laptop and they had they, I they had found them duct taped to the underside of these the science things that the the I actually I got called down to the principal's office. He handed them back to me and he's like when we're ready to put wireless in the school we will put wireless in the school. Don't do this again. I'm like, yeah, I don't have Wi-Fi. And the second thing that got me in a lot of trouble was we, a, a buddy of mine and I figured out the password to their web server and um, we made some <laughs> improvements to the school's website. Sure. They sure. didn't appreciate that. You know, those are all just hallmarks of an, over, of an, of an overachiever, Noah. That's what it is, an overachiever. <laughs> they didn't see it that way. <laughs> Yeah, I got in some trouble when I was in school too. But hey, you know what? Now you have an opportunity to make it right, Noah. Yeah. By convincing them to install Linux, which I'm sure they'll just love.
Uh, well, that's pretty cool. So Promethium, we have a link in the show notes if you guys want to know more about it. And I'm glad to hear the technology survey overall went well for you. I, I've, I've done the same survey myself, and the results were also just as disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'll tell you what's not disappointing. If you want to spin up infrastructure on demand, you go to DigitalOcean. Damn, son. DigitalOcean.com. Just use our promo code, here's the thing, all one word, lowercase, like you're slurs in it, and you'll get a $10 credit over at DigitalOcean.com. It's infrastructure on demand, powered by Linux KV. All SSDs with the best internet connections you could possibly hope for. And then they wrap it all up with a gorgeous interface, a straightforward API that has tons of open source code already written, and data centers all over the world. They have an interface that's so simple and intuitive that if you're a beginner or a longtime pro, you're going to love it. Beginners, because it's intuitive and easy. Longtime pros, because you're sick of messing with this stuff, and this just gets the job done, and it doesn't hold your hands behind your back. It's really quite nice. DigitalOcean.com. Check it out and use our promo code. Here's the thing. They got some good tutorials, too. They got one stack deployments. You can do the entire application stack. They got some really good ones for, like, uh, <clears throat> we talk about Mumble all the time. We just talked about Mumble last week. And if you wanted to set up, like, a voice chat server that uses all open source technology, you could go deploy a Mumble server with a single click on DigitalOcean. If you've got a Docker container you want to try out, again, single click. There's so many nice, like, Try it. You can also, though, just deploy a base system, and it could be Ubuntu, it could be Debian, it could be Fedora, it could be CoreOS, it could even be, if you're a little cray-cray, FreeBSD. In fact, they just put up a tutorial on how to configure encrypted ZFS pools with DigitalOcean block storage on FreeBSD. I know, it's crazy. They also have, um, this is actually pretty useful, a uh, tutorial on managing MDA, MDADM, you know, the uh, RAID management uh, tool that I never pronounce out loud. Uh, you can They have a whole tutorial on how to use that on Ubuntu 16.04 up there right now, as well as setting up MariaDB, installing OwnCloud on Ubuntu 16.04, and others. Their tutorials are really nice because they're well done. They've been, they've been edited by professional editors. That's their full-time gig. And it's just part of what DigitalOcean has to offer. You combine that with the one-click applications, the crazy easy inter interface. Whenever you need infrastructure on demand, you spin it up. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code. Here's the thing to get a $10 credit and support the show. Mr. No, is there anything else you want to add? Because I know I just went off. Well, I, I mean, here's the thing with DigitalOcean. It may or may not be the case that while we are deep into troubleshooting a video problem, I may or may not have looked down and went, hey, I think we could do this on DigitalOcean. Look down, spin up a droplet. And like, as I look up before you're even done with your sentence, we have a DigitalOcean droplet running the very software that we are testing. I love it. That may or may not have happened this week. <laughs> that's what's so great. I mean, we talk about sp spinning up in less than a minute, and that's why it matters. Because faster than you can often install the packages on your local machine, you can have an entire droplet with a crazy fast internet connection that you can just destroy when you're done or put in production, and the pricing's totally great. DigitalOcean.com. Go check them out. So our desktop app pick this week, it sort of was forced upon us, if you will, um, because it got some attention. It got some news in the last couple of days, and it, it helps kind of put it into context of what this particular tool is good for. Now, um, there's a lot of use cases for BeachBlit, BeachBit, BleachBit, whatever, Be BleachBit, you're bleaching your bits. Um, but the one that got a lot of attention this week was Hillary Clinton's team deleting all of her quote-unquote yoga emails using bleach bit. And since then, it's sort of been the one that everybody's talking about. And so I thought, you know what, why the hell not tell you about uh, bleach bit, just in case you've been hearing the name and you're wondering what it is. It is 
a way to go through a lot of the temporary files on your system and clean them up. Logs, uh, cache files. Uh, are you familiar, Noah, with um, something called CCleaner or something like that? Have you ever yeah, used oh CCleaner? Yeah, for yeah. Sure. yeah, of course, yeah. Okay. So uh, CCleaner is a lot like Beach. I'm sorry, bleach bit. I, I keep saying beach, ble, ble, I keep saying it wrong because I typed it wrong. And once I type okay. it wrong, that's how it's in my head. But it's bleach like the stuff that would kill you, and then bits like the stuff that's on your hard drive. You can figure it out from there, even if this, I stop this, saying this it. This is gonna this is gonna show you how old I am. But the uh, the the tool that I used back in my Windows days was uh, System Mechanic. Which yeah, is kind okay. Of the, that's, okay, that's kind of the same thing as CCleaner. So I assume it's kind of the yeah. same as bleach bit. Yeah. So when you launch it, here's what you get. So you, uh, you know, you get your standard check for updates, all that kind of stuff, hide irrelevant caches. But then, if you look at this, it's gone through. It's found my Bash history, uh, Evolution cache, Firefox, Chrome, GNOME, LibreOffice, System files like my packages, thumbnail cache. It'll even go through. And if you've like got a bunch of those crappy .ds store under .ds underscore stores from a Mac, yeah, it'll go through and clean all those up. If you got directories full those so it's kind of nice and and like they say on their website it does like a full full deletion it goes in a wipes clean a thousand like a like a thousand times over can rewrite it supports tons of applications and they are loving the attention they've gotten they're even reposting the videos of people talking about bleach bit on tv in context of hillary clinton so why not give a little attention this week? And I say, good for them. Because a lot of times, open source projects get framed as these evil tools of hackers right. for, for lawbreakers. And instead of Bleachbit hiding from the fame they're getting because Hillary Clinton used it to lead her emails, they're embracing it on their website and being like, this is the stuff the real criminals use. Check this out. Go here to get this tool and wipe all your stuff. In not reality, only can you erase your data, you could even be the next president, <laughs> even as a criminal. You can erase all of your history. No one will even know. In reality, however, it's really just going through and cleaning up all of the junk that your applications leave behind. I, this is not something that your your humble host, Chris, feels is all that necessary. Often, the point of a cache is that it self-maintains itself and keeps itself up to date with things that you access frequently, thereby making those things faster to access. So I'm not a huge deleter of cache. Every now and then, though, it's kind of nice. If you're a Google Chrome user, though, this isn't how you're going to hide your history. You also have to go clear your Google account history. Congrats to the Bleachbit folks for taking the recent amount of the press in stride because they have been villainized a bit. And if you're looking for something to go through and clean up your old home directory, you've been running Firefox or Chrome or Flash videos. If you have the Flash plugin, it can clean that up, too, which is actually kind of nice. Uh, go check it out at bleachbit.org. And uh, congrats to them for all the attention. It's always nice to see an open source project take it in stride. Now, Noah, I got something special for you. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for this? I'm ready for a special surprise. I know you're a, you're a huge, huge Plasma desktop user. All the time. I have used it once. Really? No, twice. I, I used it once for a review, and then the second time, mm. uh, Michael Tadell or Mitchell Tunnel, uh, asked, asked, sorry, I couldn't resist, uh, told me that it would work really well on my netbooks. I had it on my netbook and I ran it for like two weeks. Uh -huh. Jeez, yeah. we need to, we definitely need to do like a, when like 5.9 comes out or mm -hmm. six, I don't know. We, there's a point when in the plasma, you and I need to live a month in plasma because I go in and out from time to time. And uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting uh, the core developer behind this next project, super intelligent person. And, um, it, it, this is one of those applications 
if you're an Android user, mm-hmm. that almost makes it worth using the Plasma desktop just on its own. Like, have you ever had like an app that's like, you'll switch everything for this one yeah. application? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Version 1.0 of KDE Connect is out. And this is that fancy software that essentially integrates all the best stuff about your Android device into your Plasma desktop. Everything from notifications to tethering to keeping the two to sharing the clipboard, everything between the two devices devices you'd ever want is delivered with KDE Connect. It's truly a different vision and a different take on convergence where you have two different devices, but they have the same shared information. KDE Connect also just introduced new features such as triggering custom commands from your phone. So you can pre-configure commands in KDE Connect desktop settings so you can trigger them from your phone. Like uh, imagine that, like replying to an SMS message from your desktop, receiving desktop notifications on your phone, desktop notifications on your phone. It now uses TLS encryption, which I think it's used encryption for a while. it is so nice, and at the same time, they've managed to keep backward compatibility with older versions of KDE Connect and Android, which is not an easy thing to do. So KDE Connect, it brings all the stuff about Android that you might want to manage from your desktop right there. You got you get a notification on your Android device, you can clear it from your desktop, and vice versa. That alone makes KDE Connect worth it. All the other stuff it can do. It's such a cool tool. You can actually run it under GNOME, and there are some projects to do the same thing under GNOME, but... KD Connect 1.0. That's the official goodness. I think they just got a little a little bit of a boost from uh, Google Summer of Code too, which is kind of nice. So check them out. We'll have a link in the show notes. KDE Connect. And if you and I ever do like another like we're gonna live on Plasma for like a month, mm-hmm. that's one of the things you should definitely play with. I will. I'll check it's it really out. cool. Hey Noah, did you know that you and I did a thing last week? We did a thing. We did. <clears throat> yeah, we did. A, oh, yeah, we did that thing. Brand new show, User Air. User Air, Noah, myself, and the Beard sat down and uh, his making his podcasting Jupiter Broadcasting debut. Rikai sat down and we did episode one of User Air, a new Linux focused show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. It totally, totally has been a smashing hit. People have loved the first episode. The the thing is, the the difference between User Air and this show, as I see it, is. It is like we call Linux unplugged unplugged, but even Linux unplugged isn't really that unplugged. There's still a structure to it. This is truly a no structure show. And I think you you tried to hit the no structure show with Tech Talk today, and then that morphed into a structured show. But this is like all over the place, all off the rails, just a couple of guys sitting down who like Linux having a discussion over a beer. Yeah, and uh, what we're doing is we're uh, we're sort of creating a different feel show here. And it, it's in some cases, it's edited, so we can kind of just sit there and relax and just talk. And then what you get is the best brought-down version. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, episode one, in reality, was like an hour and 15 minutes long. But the published easily done three. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But the published version was only an hour and three. Like I took out a bit of parts where it just meandered and people would have gotten bored. So in episode one, we managed to cover tiling window managers, which was great to get that discussion finally on the books. Uh, My experience with uh, Linux on the MacBook. Uh, We talked about some new technology we're using on the network, and uh, totally to my surprise, you and I got into our adventures with development and what you're doing and what I'm doing right now. And that was a great conversation, too. So uh, User Air Episode 1 is already out. It comes out Wednesday mornings over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. All of the feeds are up. You can search for it in your favorite place that serves podcasts. And we'll be recording Episode 2 shortly after this episode of the Linux Action Show. So if you're watching live right now, stay tuned, and we'll be recording User Air 2 live in just 
a little bit. Brand new show, super focused on high quality audio, using a ton of new technology to record this thing. All of it Linux based, which we'll be talking about in the future. This show is our testing ground to literally, and I hope seriously, impact future podcasting. And I, I, this might be a long shot, but some of the stuff we're doing, I hope, could make Linux one of the go-to platforms for podcasts in terms of content creators. You want to record a podcast? Here's a set of tools that Jupiter Broadcasting and other podcasters, which is great, are using. It's been working great for them. Here's an example of some of their shows. You just need these bits, these bits here, these bobs here. You connect it all together. And you're done. We are, we're getting there. Like right yeah. now, you and I are having a video conference, uh, Linux to Linux, high definition, using totally right. open source software. This show is being produced using a, different, a totally different set of technology. Again, all Linux-based, mm. open source to back-end technology. We are, we are writing new code to make some of it possible. It's super exciting. And the end result, not only is it a great experimentation in technology, but it's a really well-put-together, great-sounding, engaging new podcast that comes from the perspective of Linux users. And I, I, I just, I'm super happy with it turned out, and I can't wait to record episode two, so go check it out. Uh, error.show is the quick URL to go to if you like, and uh, you can subscribe. We have links on the first show page, error.show, and error at jupiterbroadcasting.com is our email address, by the way, too. User error, episode one is out. Go check it out. I'm super excited, and hopefully you'll, you'll like it, too. Okay, that's all the picks now. Let's do the news. Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Everybody go to last.ting.com to support this show and get yourself $25 off a Ting phone or a Ting plan. Ting is mobile that makes sense. I've been... I've been using it for, I don't know, two and a half years. And Noah, you got to be around the same. You've got to be clocking around two and a half years too, right? Yeah, I, I signed up the very first ad read that ever came out on Linux Action Show. I signed up at three in the morning. God, you you are my favorite kind of listener right now. I just got to <laughs> say that. Well, here's, here's, the, here's the thing. It, it's, it's very simple. What it comes down to me is if I hear about something... Uh, that that would better serve my life and yeah. it's going to save yeah. me money. Yeah. I have no choice but to jump right. on that right away. Yeah. And I was skeptical at first because, you know, the thing is, I came from Verizon, right? And Verizon, what do they preach? Coverage, 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 coverage. And I live in kind of a rural area. Yeah, you so do. coverage is a big deal to me. And so I'm like, listen, I'm sure I could try this Ting thing, but the problem is who knows how well T-Mobile, who knows how well Sprint is going to work and where it's going to come. But the thing is, because you're only, there's no contract, you can get started for six, seven bucks a month. And what I did was I started with a flip phone and I just carried it with me alongside my main phone. Ah, did and, the Ting trial kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. And the thing was, it was it was a zero risk kind of a thing because if at the end of the day, if it didn't work out, I was at six bucks. Yeah, and there's no early termination fee. There's no contract. So that's easy. So, the phone I bought was like forty bucks, but you we got I got my twenty five dollar credit from going to la, or uh, is it last.ting.com? Yes, sir. And so I got my $25 credit. So the phone ended up costing me like 25 bucks. Incidentally, later that year, like a couple months later, ended up like being like the thing that saved me when I was at Linux Fest Northwest and you got sick. And then uh, the, the, I was able to use my Ting phone to, That's to, right. to, to coordinate. Yeah. And then shortly after that, I'm like, I, I realized that I wasn't even taking my Verizon phone with me anymore. Yeah. I was doing yep. everything. And I, mm -hmm. But then I realized like I really missed having my smartphone. Yeah. So I was like, well, this is dumb. I should just get a smartphone on Ting. And haven't looked back since. It's funny. Uh, well, until I got the GSM and then like then it just took off in a whole other direction. So, you know, Ting's been a sponsor for a while now <clears throat> because um, legitimately 
it just was a total game changer for me. And I have I have confidence that a lot of the audience thinks kind of like I do when it comes to this stuff. Like I know when to use mm-hmm. Wi-Fi and when to use my mobile. And it, right. it it's it's such a it's such a simple context mode switch for me that if that's all I have to do to save an astronomical amount on my wireless, I'm I'm doing right. that right. And right. so Ting was it was a, it was a it was a no brainer. And I'm thinking back about it, I remember I kind of had sort of a first toe in sort of experience like you. I had a Sprint. This is back when Max was a thing. I had a Sprint Evo 4G. Right. And I took that thing from Sprint, and I moved it over to Ting, and I got the $25 credit. And so my first month was free. And I did the same thing you did, is I carried two phones for a little while. I had a work phone that was on one network, and I had my my Evo that was now on Ting. And by the end of it, I was only using the Evo. And Right. It, it was a total game changer for me because that was also right when I was getting into Mod and a bunch of other mm-hmm. stuff. And so not having my carrier trying to play Big Brother with me was extremely like just to get that weight off my shoulder good feeling type scenario. And I, I love that yeah. about Ting. And then I was I was super passionate about Ting. And then guess what? Pretty soon after that, they, they became a sponsor. And one of the coolest things that I think has happened with Ting in a long time is they're getting really competitive now with their data prices. They've just dropped them. Uh, so data prices are now $10 per gigabyte once you go beyond the, the one gigabyte level. Data is now cheaper on Ting. From now on, prices look like this. Need more? It's just $10 a gig. That's what new customers pay. That's what current customers pay. That's me. It's simple. We like simple. See for yourself at ting.com slash rates. You know, I would I would keep an eye on the Ting blog too. Just um, even if you're not a Ting customer, they're giving away devices from time to time, and the entry is super easy. So start by going to last.ting.com and then go check them out. They got great devices, no contract, unlocked. You own them outright. Uh, or My you can suggestion, bring if you want to get sold on Ting, is to go shop at other stores. <laughs> go, no, I'm serious. And I, I, I mean this with all sincerity. Walk into AT&T and go look at their GoPhone pricing. Then I want you to go over to Verizon and go look at whatever their their uh, equivalent pre-planned, no-contract phone is. And just look at all of that, and that will sell you. That is what you need to do Also, you sold on Ting in, in a second. I will say this, too. If you, like myself, and I, I know Noah... If you get sort of stuck in the position in your family as the IT person that when yes. you come there, you're solving their problems or making, giving their Android device more free space, that's my fun one right now, or fixing the problem on the PC, um, two things about Ting that are great for you. Number one, they have incredible customer service. So when Uncle Joe has a problem, you just have Uncle Joe call the Ting and they... They have customer service that will make Uncle Joe feel like a king, and he's gonna t- he's gonna call you up and tell you how great it was, and then later on he might even get a special note in the mail from. I mean, it's really gonna blow Uncle Joe's mind. And then number two, and this is this is sort of a big one for me is when you move them over to Ting, the the process is so simple for them to manage their accounts from the the, the app on their device that they don't have to worry anymore about any of that stuff. They just look at the app on their device. They totally understand where their account is at. It's super, super simple, and it's really nice. But I would say, and this is kind of a third thing that Chris didn't tell you about, but it's something to know about, Ting has a really sweet affiliate account, and if you give them your affiliate URL... You're not going to be paying for wireless for a while. I'm just saying. So that's also, I'll put that out there. But anyways, big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the show. Go to uh, last.ting.com to get started. You know, we're we're in a good mood today because, in part, uh, it's Linux's birthday. And how can you not be happy when it's when it's a birthday party? And uh, the folks over at Red Hat did a, a happy birthday video, and I just I love it, Noah. Check this out. Happy birthday to you. So this is the CEO uh, Jim Whitehurst of uh, Red Hat singing. Happy birthday to 
you know, something's missing here, something strange. I think we could use, you know, the community. And they all run in with balloons. <laughs> Much better. <laughs> and a tux right. costume. One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Linus. Happy birthday to you. Yeah. 25th birthday, Noah. What do you think? Nice. Many more. <laughs> Here's the thing. That, that, that is, that's basically the kind of, uh, the kind of atmosphere and, and the kind of community thing that I think makes Red Hat so cool. The fact they do stuff like that. Yeah, that was fun. It is pretty significant that, uh, you know, I, you know what my first thought was? 25 years doesn't feel like that long in, no. the, in the terms of something that's historically important as Linux. It feels yep. like it's just the beginning, which mm -hmm. is incredible at 25 years for a piece of software. You know, uh, you know what my first thought was? What? <laughs> Nobody celebrates Microsoft's birthday. Nobody even knows how old Windows is. Nobody cares. Sorry. Huh. That was my first thought, though. Huh. <laughs> <clears throat> I hadn't thought of that. Uh, that's a good point. So uh, <laughs> LinuxCon just wrapped up uh, in Toronto, and um, I think they were celebrating it there too, which is pretty cool. And I, I wanted to start with something this week that um, I'm going to be honest. It, it actually legitimately like upset me. Like I was really bummed out. There's something happening, and I've touched on it in bits and pieces here and there. Um, where we are demonizing in the press, and I say we very liberally, I do not mean the, the show. <clears throat> Linus is being turned into a monster. Linus is a rageaholic who will take shots at anyone and no one is safe. Linus is someone who is poisoning the open source ecosystem and driving away kernel contributors. Linus is a... Is a is a ticking time bomb. This is the meme that the that the, that the media has been living he on. Violates now. safe zones. Yeah, yeah. And uses trigger words. Yeah, exactly. Yep, trigger words. Yep. <clears throat> now, I am I am not trying to downplay um, inclusive language. I am not trying to downplay anybody who has has been in a position where something awful has happened to them and it's made them feel very crappy. I, but mm -hmm. in the, in the context of it being Linux's twenty fifth birthday, I was. I was super disappointed, and probably I took it more personally than I should have, to see this post from the Register this weekend. This was, uh, this was really something. And the, and, the, and the title goes like this. Having offended everyone else in the world, Linus Torvalds calls out his own lawyers as nasty, festering diseases. And then the subheadline, time for a compendium of abuse. <laughs> Wow. So <clears throat> this is a this is a real attack piece by the register. Uh, it was written by uh, Karen, I think, or Kareen. I think his name is Kareen McCarthy. And uh, he says, uh, coding curmudgeon Linus Torvalds has gone off yet on another rant, this time against his own lawyers and free software activist Bradley Kuhn. Now, right there, right there, calling the software conservancy Linus's own lawyers 
is a massive exaggeration. Misrepresentation, yeah. Yes, that's a better word to use. Misrepresentation. Yes, mm -hmm. that's a, that is a misrepresentation. So, okay. So anyways, we, we go on. He says, on a mailing list about an upcoming Linux conference, and this was, uh, there, is a, there is a conference that I was considering going, which I've kind of decided not to because I don't think it's appropriate for a podcast for media to be there but there is a there is a conference coming up called the uh, kernel uh, like the, the the plumbing conference like it's this it's a kernel developers conference it's all about the internals of linux oh and the other reason i don't want to go cuz it's just a bunch about embedded arm devices <sighs> uh, that would just bore me to death and but it's it's really about it's it's really for kernel developers to discuss kernel issues and 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 then it came up as well Maybe we should have a discussion about GPL license compliance. That's, that's where this conversation originated from. On a mailing list, this is going back to the article, about an upcoming Linux conference, a discussion about whether to include a session on the GPL that protects the open source operating system quickly devolved into an angry rant as the Linux founder piled in. Again, I think it's a misrepresentation to say that the conversation was about defending the GPL and defending enforcement. The conversation mm -hmm. was about what, when you litigate this stuff, the damage it does to open source communities. Mm -hmm. That was the conversation, not, mm -hmm. not GPL enforcement. Okay, I continue on. And this is a quote from Linus in the article. I actually think we should talk about GPL enforcement at the Kernel Summit because I think it's an important issue. Torvalds gently began. But we should talk about it in a way that we talk about other issues among kernel developers. No lawyers present unless they are in the capacity of, of a developer or a yep. maintainer of actual code. And in particular, Good. absolutely not the free software conservancy. Good. I agree. <clears throat> that makes perfect sense. I personally think that arguing for lawyering has become a nasty festering disease. And the SFC, the Software Freedom Conservancy, and Bradley Kuhn are have been the typhoid Mary of spreading this disease. He goes on to say that, uh, uh, that <clears throat> when the lawyers get involved around GPL enforcement, the communities mm -hmm. around those projects die. Yeah. And, and what Linus does to sort of back this assertion up is he quotes Greg K.H., who also agrees and says the same thing. But then he also points out to lawsuits brought in 2009 to defend the GPL around embedded Linux company BusyBox. The cases were brought by the Software Freedom Law Center. We've, t we've covered this lawsuit before. It was, the, uh, it was the VMware lawsuit. We've talked about this. Mm -hmm. And Torvalds has not been impressed with the results. He said, and, and, and I got to say something. When we covered that news story and said that they failed and that the guy didn't properly present evidence and that the entire lawsuit was dismissed, that was a loss for the GPL. Don't mistake. That was not a win for the GPL. The Software Conservancy went to war with VMware and lost on round one. Now, now I, I said in that original coverage, they'll probably be a round two. But let's be clear. In round one, they screwed up. They didn't even supply proper evidence. Anyways, so he's, Torvalds was not impressed by that case. I can understand why. He says, that may be a shiny moment for the F SFC, but it was not a shining moment for BusyBox. I'm not aware of anybody but the lawyers and crazy people that were happy about how BusyBox, the situation, ended up. Please pipe up if you actually know differently. All it resulted in was a huge amount of bickering and both individual and commercial developers and users fleeing in droves. Both the original maintainer and the maintainer that started the lawsuits ended up publicly saying it was a disaster. Mm -hmm. Lawyers are poisonous to openness, poisonous to community and poisonous to projects. 
I agree with all of that. Uh, Greg, uh, Greg in the email thread said that uh, here's a Greg. If you want to read, I'll have the, I'll have a link to the original thread. But Greg Kh, uh, maintainer of the LTS kernel, maintainer of the USB subsystem, guest on the Linux Action Show in the past. Greg Kh said, "Look, when these companies that refuse to enforce the GPL." When they come at us and they get in our face and they say, make us enforce it, make us enforce it, or sue us, you know what happens? And this is Greg. This is not me saying this. Greg says, we spend a lot of time and a lot of years working with those companies, and we turn them into some of the biggest GPL open source contributors out there. And he cites examples of this. He cites examples where companies got in Greg's face and said, we will never support the GPL. This is our code. Take us to court. And now they're some of the biggest contributors to the Linux kernel. And Greg says, what we do is we work with these people behind the scenes. And when you start this lawsuit business, these companies, they shut down. They don't they communicate anymore with developers. Right. they got to protect themselves. And he's, he lays out the business rationale why it's a horrible idea to pursue these lawsuits over this compliance stuff all the time. But it, it's it, it, basic humanity dictates that when you got a problem with John next door, walk over to John next door and say, John, I have a problem. Can we hash this out before... You go hire a lawyer and sue John next door for doing. You know what I mean? It just it, the it real message the though, and I, this is what feels. I'm. This is what I kind of want to get your opinion on. Greg mm -hmm. and Linus's message was simply, let the developers hash it out with the other developers. Because when we right. work developer to developer, that breeds a culture inside the company that eventually leads to compliance. Right. Is that realistic, or do yes, is there a place for the lawyers to get involved? They might not be creating code. They might not be managing community. They might not be packaging software. They might not be right. do writing documentation. But Noah, they're defending the license. Yeah, sure they are. Here's the thing: the 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 the, the, the basic essence is that when when these developers work, they can they they can hash things out, and I think that's a very realistic model. To, to work things out. And I think that applies beyond just developers. I think just being a human and going to another human and working out an issue is a much better way to, to yes. deal with something versus litigation. But I think they would argue that, though, they would argue that if you don't enforce the GPL, then it's essentially toothless and it's meaningless. That's great. And if we if it comes to that, then maybe we do need to enforce the GPL. But let's try the reasonable soft approach first. If that doesn't work, we yeah, can back up. That's my point. Here's the, here's the problem with lawyers. The problem with lawyers, and I have plenty of lawyers that work for me and I I've got one that I work with a lot and I really like him. And then I've got one that we use for nasty stuff. And he's so mean, I don't even like him, but, but, the, but <laughs> just what but, you want, but you have to, but you have to have somebody like that. But the, the thing is, is they have a vested interest in finding you a problem because they can bill you to solve the problem. And if you're, if you don't recognize that and you don't acknowledge that, then you're naive. So the, the lawyers, they don't care. I don't believe there are a lot of lawyers. There might be some, but I think most of them don't actually care about the betterment of the community and the bigger picture. What they care about is I want to win this case so I can build the client and uh, and I have a win in my in my belt. And yeah. that kind of attitude yeah. has no place yeah. in the open source community. In fact, it's the very it's the antithesis, is the opposite of the culture that we're trying to right. create. We want collaboration. So it, has to, it has to be the absolute last resort. And so you and I can, can can touch on these points, but uh, Greg K H uh, in that mailing list man, he broke it down from a total like CEO level position of why this makes sense. It's mm -hmm. beautiful, and mm -hmm. it it's exact. And Linus liked it so much that Linus quoted Greg's entire email in Linus's uh, email thread. So okay, now let's pause there because I think you and I are on a, in, in agreement there, and people will probably disagree with us. But I want to move forward because I want to refocus us back on the attack against Linus, and I think this is mm -hmm. extremely. Um, unfortunate because 
you take this conversation that we're having, you can see there's legitimate sides to this conversation, this back and forth that Noah and I just had. And there's legitimate reasons why Linus and Greg would feel this way. Mm -hmm. This article does not address any of those. It starts from a point of assumption that Linus is wrong, doesn't ever even give Greg's point of view any airtime at all, and continues to attack him. So it says later on that the fire wasn't burnt out. And then it goes and quotes some of the kind of like swear words that Linus used. And then mm -hmm. it, it fills in details like neurons firing and bouncing on the inside of Linus's head is a quote from the article where they're, pic they're drawing a picture of Linus in a state of rage where his mind is firing on all cylinders where he's just absolutely so upset. They paint this picture for you. And then once, they've done, once they're done painting that picture, she or he literally lays out bullet point after bullet point if any time Linus has gotten upset and then has a heading that says, let's keep going, and then does another list bullet point by bullet point of every time Linus has got upset and then ends it with sigh. The thing is, uh, we, I, I think, uh, first of all, I think if you actually listen to what Linus says at any time, or if you listen to what, uh, the, the kind of attitude that he has, he is, he doesn't, I don't think he's really that emotionally invested in anything, right? No, in fact, I think people would be a little disappointed to find out how little he is actually emotionally invested. I don't think I don't think he really cares, and I don't think he really cares what they they write. And, and you know what? The thing is, the reason that he uses coarse language, and the reason that he comes off a, a, and is, is very poignant and, and very sharp in his in his words, is because that's the best kind of teeth he can have. And that's over the part the where that's the part where he does care too. That's the part where he does care. I also, yeah. and here's why I'm upset. No, and I don't know if you can tell. I'm, I'm, I'm a little upset about this because, um, so one of the things I do is I watch a story for the show, and then mm -hmm. I watch all of the stories about that story and all of the reaction about that story so I can try to incorporate that into the analysis for the show. And one right. of the things that upset me on Twitter is I saw other quote-unquote Linux journalists like uh, Christine Hall from Phosphorus here quotes, this is her Twitter feed, Torvalds needs to rethink this position. Linus Torvalds calls down his own lawyers as nasty, festering disease. That's that's not true. That is that is simply not. They're not uh, personally. He they're he, they're not his personal lawyers. They're not his lawyers. And number second one, of all, number two, he didn't even call the lawyers. He said he said their actions are a festering uh, pool, he, not the people. That's not even accurate. And, and there has been this, Linus is anti-GPL, Linus is anti-community, Linus is aggressive narrative building now for months. The, the, the man who gave a multi-million dollar idea away to the community is anti-community. And just, that makes a lot of sense. just this week, and, and Swampy has an article about it, just this week, Linus was quoted as saying the GPL was the defining factor in Linux's success. And if it wasn't for the GPL2, we wouldn't have Linux. And I quote, I love the GPL2. That was Linus's direct quote. So it, not only at Linux, at Linux, um, not Linux Fest, geez, I'm, I know, Linux Con, not only at Linux Con this week was he advocating for the GPL and saying that it was the defining factor of Linux's success, while he's saying this, these hit pieces are being written. And I, I don't understand what the end goal is here. There seems to be some sort of shared goal to take Linus out of action as the head of Linux, and I can't understand I what it is. That. I understand he swears, I understand he upsets people, but... I will be honest with you, in literally every single case, I have read the entire thread, I have gone back and read people's previous threads, and in every case, while his reaction seems extreme, it seems completely founded and logical. If you don't yeah. just read the news and you actually read the mailing right. lists, right. 
Not to mention, if you don't, first of all, if you're on the mailing list, it's because you want to be involved with the project. If you don't agree with the fundamental way that the, that the leader of a project deal, then go work somewhere else. And second of all, hmm. there, this, this is a great thing. It's, it's the anti-Linus button. If you don't like what he says, there's a hotkey, Alt-F4, and it, and, it, and, it, and it automatically removes all the content that he says. So I thought Simon Phelps had uh, one of the best takes. You know, again, I like to watch ev- – I watch – I watch mm-hmm. everybody as they react to these stories, and if <laughs> we have private conversations where I grouse about it, but then I sort of distill it all down to an analysis for the show, and I thought Simon's was worth just bringing right up to the, right, right up to the forefront. This is how Simon Phelps, uh, Phipps put it, and I thought this was brilliant. Linux's high elders discuss if GPL compliance is best sought via relationships or lawsuits. Read yep, it here in this succinct. thread. That's exactly what, that's literally the core issue here. They're trying to, the people at the, at the top of the, contrib, uh, at the contribution chain are trying to figure out if it's best to do long-term relationships with these companies or sue the shit out of them. That's the discussion. And it gets turned into Linus hates his own lawyers and thinks they're scum. And it's disgusting to watch that, especially yeah. on the 25th birthday of Linux. I mean, give yeah. me a break. For one week, couldn't we have let off? And, and to be fair, I mean... I'll just say it because it hasn't come up. You can find a lot worse things he said than that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Just, yeah. That, yeah. That seems actually pretty tame. Yeah. Just ask NVIDIA. So uh, <laughs> our friends over at Ubuntu Mate have some great news. ByteMark is sponsoring some of their backend infrastructure. So ByteWorks or ByteMark um, uh, is, uh, is a company that uh, offers, it's a lot like a digital ocean over in the UK. They offer like VPSs on demand and stuff that look really competitive. SSDs, they say a couple of weeks ago, Bymark, managing director, Matthew, I'm going to say, Bioc? Bach? Maybe Wimpy could tell us on Linux Unplug. He contacted Ubuntu Mate team and offered free hosting for the project. As of August 18th, 2016, all the Ubuntu Mate infrastructure is now hosted on Bymark cloud servers. Uh, and ByteMark uh, announced, they say, I'm happy to announce that ByteMark is supporting the Ubuntu Mate operating system project, which is based on traditional computing desktop. We're providing hosting for its community forums and wiki and bandwidth for its very popular Raspberry Pi edition. Very nice. Uh, uh, Wimpy, a.k.a. Martin, added, I'm absolutely delighted that ByteMark reached out to Ubuntu Mate and generously offered to cover all hosting and bandwidth requirements. We now have a resilient pair of geographically separated cloud servers powering the Ubuntu Mate websites, community forums, and Raspberry Pi image downloads. This will enable Ubuntu Mate to channel far more of its money raised via our crowdfunding into sponsored development of Ubuntu Mate desktop and related projects. That, I think, is the key part. That's what's super exciting for me is there, uh, you know, there is a spot for corporate sponsorship for open source projects like this. Sure. Especially ones like ByteMark and I'll, I'll say DigitalOcean who sponsors a shit ton of open source projects too, where they come in and they're just like, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, we're not going to ask anything of you. It's just, thanks for doing that. And, and I think, you know, Noah, you probably, you've probably felt like you've been in this position before at AltaSpeed. Like, there's probably been open source projects where you're like, hey, you know sure. what? AltaSpeed doesn't want you to do anything. I just want to kind of write you a check and say thank you for doing this. Sure. I mean, so so from my, from a uh, 
from a high level, that's great. When it comes down to the nitty gritty, you get into the accountant level. I have to be able to show some sort of ROI, right? And so if, if I go in, like if, if I'm going to give money to a place, I have to be able to show how we made money. That's just a, sure. a function of, of being a type C corporation. But, but most of the projects that we're willing to contribute are things that we have taken in many, many times what we have given already. And then we just give back a little bit. Yeah. Right? Uh, like for uh, Bymark. Holistic could be a great example. Or like a Bymark, if they're using Ubuntu Mate uh, uh, internally as their desktop for their employees. Yeah, exactly. That makes a total. That, and, but I, I guess the, the, the thing I really like about this story is, um, and, and elementary OS has sort of had some of the similar, I think DigitalOcean uh, hosts some of their stuff for them. Um, and, and there's other, I mean, this is a project, this story goes on a lot. Uh, a lot of times what happens, and I think this is really super awesome, is an open source project gets to a certain amount of uh, prevalence and um, at a certain level, somebody in one of these companies is like, hey, I'm a fan of that project. I love that project. They come in, like ByteMark did, and they support that project sort of like ongoing base foundational costs, infrastructure, download bandwidth, stuff like that. Right. That lets the that lets the open source project take that crowdfunding and directly say, now we're going to pay coders. N now we're going to actually right. buy some time from somebody to write this code for us. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, that's going to make much, that's going to translate to much bigger improvements to Ubuntu Mate down the road. And that's why right. I think it's a great story, is we could literally see Ubuntu Mate getting... Um, some big investments. And I would say this, just watching Wimpy uh, for, for all this time, uh, he's been a very savvy investor. He does monthly updates on what he's doing with the community's money. And he so far has seems to have spent it in ways that haven't just made a better distribution for Ubuntu Mate users, but have improved the Mate desktop in some big, big ways that will make it right. relevant now for years. Uh, and, and it's just kind of, it's sort of awesome to see this happen. So congratulations to them. And I think the big picture story, the meta story here is Ubuntu Mate just sort of closed the next round that's going to make them an even more sustainable long-term distribution. So now you have a traditional desktop environment that you can depend on that has some financial backing and savvy leadership combined should mean this is one of those distros that is in for... I, Another decade. I mean, you think about how yeah. many distros do we see come and go over a 10-year period, and there's some right. fundamental things that make them more sustainable than others, and I think this is one of them. So congrats to the project, and if Wimpy wants to join us on Unplugged on Tuesday, I would be thrilled to hear more about it. So last but not least, and this is perfect after um, last week's episode where you uh, talked about continuing to use own cloud. there mm -hmm. is a new version of NextCloud out. Version 10 has released. I gotta say, Noah, check out these features. So, uh, first of all, they're gonna have file access control and automatic file tagging. Nextcloud gives administrators control over data access by enabling them to define strict rules. That mm -hmm. so you can set up scenarios and rules for files, uh, and then Nextcloud will enforce them and via the administration UI. The workflow engine expands these capabilities, enabling administrators to start to add any kind of actions based on these triggers. For example converting certain files to PDF upon uploading to the server and then emailing them. Mm -hmm. That could be useful. Uh, and then also you can do, based on tags, you could have it send to multiple email addresses. That's a very nice feature. Uh, going on, though, I think this is kind of slick. Look at this bad mamma jamma. NextCloud 10 introduces a server information app, which provides a way for admins to monitor the health and performance of NextCloud. Besides a graphical UI, which does look kind of badass, uh, an API endpoint is provided to allow you to integrate your own cloud server monitoring into your overall 
monitoring infrastructure. So say you're using OpenNMS or mm -hmm. Nagios, you can now integrate different metrics of your own cloud instance in your overall monitoring infrastructure. Huge for enterprises, but huge also for those that want to offer hosted next cloud instances. That's a really big deal. And I like that UI too. I, 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 I recognize that open source project, but I can't put my finger on it. So Joss, if you, if you could maybe tweet me or something, let me know what, what project you guys are integrating there. It looks familiar, but I, I, I'm not placing it. I definitely want to, I, the, my first step obviously is I have to actually get uh, to NextCloud, right? I'm still using OwnCloud. And to be honest with you, because of my previous experiences with OwnCloud, I'm like, I'm a little afraid to, to change anything or do anything. Like, I guess 80% uh, uh, of me is rational and understands that may, they've probably made some major improvements, which is why I haven't any problem, haven't had any problems. But there's like 20% of me that is afraid that I have some sort of magical install. And if I, if I tried to replicate it, Well, you're, it, mostly, you're mostly using it for file sync, right? You're not taking yeah, yeah. advantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you were using own cloud in any other capacity, I would mm -hmm. say you are really screwing up. I would say you're blowing it big time. If, mm -hmm. you, are, if you are out there and you're using NextCloud or OwnCloud in, in, in any way that you should be, don't be like Noah. If you're, just, if you're just using file sync, you could be using anything in the world, and there's better solutions than, in, in than OwnCloud, NextCloud, I think. But if you want to take advantage of all the features that OwnCloud or NextCloud have via the web UI, be it calendaring or group uh, contacts yeah. or file management or any of that stuff... Then you definitely want to be on the. You want to kind of keep up to date. That, sure. but but for you, Noah, you could go throw up a NextCloud twelve server in in a year and yeah. move your files over, and you're fine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, but that's the first step before I can actually start taking advantage of some of this other stuff. I, I have to go. I'd say I have to. I'd have to make it to about a year with actually having sensitive data before I'd fully trust it, just because I've been burned so many times. Yeah, and the I problem just, is, is in that period of time, you kind of want to stay up to date. I want to just yeah. give a quick shout out, and then we'll move on. Uh, they now have Samba Change notification support, which improves performance for large Windows network drives. Huge, Ooh. I think, for some of you out there. Uh, they've removed the need for per periodic scans of storage systems. NextCloud 10 lowers the load on both NextCloud and storage servers and removes the risk of conflicting changes due to long duration of rescans. Mm -hmm. I, I know from the emails I've received that's a big feature for some of you out there. And changes have been made to other external storage providers, including Dropbox and Google Drive, speeding up access to those services uh, while full UTFF8 support for external storage reduces risk of access issues to non-standard file names. Anyways, a bunch of nice changes, including two-factor authentication support via a plugin and all that kind of stuff. So pretty solid this is, I would say, the second really solid update we've seen since the uh, NextCloud OwnCloud fork. So, and I, I have not really followed OwnCloud as closely. Mm -hmm. I see they've come out with their own version of events, which might be worth people looking into. Um, but I don't know if I've seen as many releases. I don't know. I might be wrong on that. But the NextCloud guys, two releases in a row that look really solid. So NextCloud 10 is out. Congrats to them. And we have more information in the show notes if you would like it. All right. Anything else, Noah? That's it for me. All right, then that's all the news for this week. Ryan Sipes is about to join us and tell us about his big news and also correct the record, apparently, from our rant, quote-unquote, from last week's episode on the Internet of Things. Our rant? <laughs> I was trying to take some of the heat for you, buddy. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess a lot of people were listening and had to rage quit the episode. They were so upset. So we're going to correct the record and see, can really even consumers, quote unquote, Internet of Things, 
get along and play with Linux. But first, we have to say thank you to the great folks over at Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged is where you go to support this show and learn more about the platform designed to teach you all of the things around Linux. Beginner essentials, basic things that just help you learn Linux, but also extremely advanced topics and the entire technology stack around Linux. In fact, if you go over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged, dig around and look at their features page. Learn about their labs and exercises where you have hands-on scenario-based labs to give you experience with real servers. The video courses, the self-paced in-depth video courses on every topic, cloud, Linux, DevOps, AWS, Azure is also in the Linux Academy repertoire. Nuggets are tiny bits of sparkly wisdom to give you a deep dive into a single topic. Note cards that can be forked by the community and the community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. And learning paths. If you have a mind of what you want to accomplish, series of courses and content planned by instructors. Oh, and I should mention, <laughs> instructor mentoring is available too. This is a great system that spins up Linux systems on demand, created by Linux enthusiasts, developers, and educators that came together and created the Linux Academy platform, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there, learn more about Linux Academy, increase your skill set to the next level, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Sometimes we cover topics and you want to know more about it. That's a great resource to check out. Thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Well, we should say right now that it is a big day on the show because uh, Ryan is here not only to talk to us about the Internet of Things, and which is sort of an area of expertise of his, but also about his big news about his future plans. Ryan, welcome to the Linux Action Show, sir. I'm glad to be back. It is good to have you. So I have a sense there may be a bit of an announcement. Last we spoke, uh, you had uh, moved on and uh, had uh, left Mycroft, and there was a hint in the air that something may be coming down the pipe, and I'm wondering if you're willing to share it now with us, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as of last week, about Tuesday, I have joined System76 as their community manager. hey Nice. Congratulations, Ryan. That's, that's first of all, uh, you know, having just worked with System76 for like a decade and having visited their office, I think it was, what, what did we go in, October? It was something L like that? Last year, in yeah. November, yeah. Yeah, November, and Ryan was there. I mean, just the, the, one of the things I took away um, is what a great team they are together and what a great uh, corporate culture they have, which is there's no way to put that on the website, really. There's no way to sort of advertise that. But they have one of the most cool um, organic corporate cultures that I think really, really promotes innovation. So I'm guessing you probably picked up on some of that, too, uh, when you were visiting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, whenever we went out there, uh, you remember the conversation that we had where they kind of opened up the floor for every visitor of the Supervan event to uh, share their ideas. And uh, we hung out with them, and I got a really good sense that they are forward-looking and they have, everybody there has a really great head on their shoulders. And so uh, whenever I left Mycroft, I was thinking a lot about what I wanted to do next. And uh, I ended up calling up Carl, and this is all detailed in my blog in great detail. Uh, but I ended up heading out there and, and hanging out with him. And after some conversations over some beers, I realized that uh, their vision and my vision for open source uh, hardware and, and the future of uh, Linux 
very much aligned. And so uh, that led to me being here right now. Hmm. And this is really great. Uh, like I talked to you about or, or teased a little bit, uh, System76 has a, uh, a few interesting projects coming down the pipe. Uh, they have a secret lab. Where, oh, really? A secret where, lab. A skunk works, right? Yeah, where things are being <laughs> built. Future things. Hmm. And uh, I and Carl was and Ian and, and Jason were so gracious to take me in there and show me what they were working on. Oh, you got to and, go in the secret lab. Yeah, and I was very impressed. And uh, I I thought, this, this, is, this is good. This is what the future looks like. And, uh, and so I, uh, I was very excited when, uh, when Carl asked me, well, what, what would you do if you came and joined the team and team? And, uh, I said, help promote this stuff, you know, share the, share the word about what's going on here and, uh, what a great culture you guys have and what projects you've been working on. And I'm super excited. I, I get so energized talking to everybody on the team and, uh, and listening to their ideas and sharing my ideas. And uh, it's been a whole heck of a lot of fun this past week. And I look forward to, to sharing my plans and some of the uh, neat stuff that we're doing with the world. Hmm. And that starts here. Wow. But, uh, you know, it's funny, Ryan, when, when you announced you were moving on from Minecraft, I hadn't, I hadn't really pegged System76, even though in retrospect it makes sense, because... I would say if I have one criticism criticism of them as a company, it's that they aren't able to fully promote uh, how much work they do, how they do that work, how meticulous they are about it, and at the level what, and, and working upstream and all of that that they do. Because they're so heads down on the day-to-day -day task that they just don't really have a way to communicate that. And that's not even necessarily marketing because it's not something that the majority of users would fully understand. But... When I went there, like, uh, and I know Noah was impressed too. Like, just the system they use to deploy images to their to their to their to their workstations to do testing and all of that was so meticulously thought out. Um, and and there's they're constantly working on projects that go back upstream that they don't really have time to talk about. So there is going to be a bit of a, a transformation that might have to happen for a community manager role to fully blossom there because it's just not an area they've had a lot of time to probably dedicate to in the past. What are your thoughts on that? We talked about, when I got there, we talked, one of the things I talked about was you have so much content. You have so much content here that you could share with the world. And, uh, and I kind of asked, you know, what's, what's the deal? Why is, why is this, the stuff that your, your guys are doing here, the great things that they're creating, the great projects that they're spearheading, why are these things not getting shared out? And, and Carl was pretty frank. He said, you know, really, we we're like you said, we're so heads down. We haven't really had the bandwidth to share this with the world. And I said, I would love to have an opportunity to go through and see if we could share this and, and bring people in. And, and it may not, it may come as a surprise to people, some people, it may not, but they also have developed quite a bit of software, mm -hmm. like you were pointing out that mm -hmm. helps them do their daily jobs. And, uh, and a lot of that software, uh, can be promoted as well. A lot of that software would be really useful to, to other people trying to build communities sure. or and and companies right. built on open source and uh, and so that's been that's going to be part of my focus. The other part is is uh, getting feedback from um, users and seeing how we can improve 
the pro the products and uh, really make a make a difference. Make hmm. the I wouldn't have joined if I didn't think that System seventy six has a really distinct opportunity, um, and I think that that opportunity is to become a really big force uh, in computing in as a company you know they they are in a really really good place uh both you know from their Mm -hmm. their culture Mm -hmm. and also from a monetary standpoint (laughs) and so and also i would say from sort of a long-term vision standpoint yeah carl is an excellent leader and the and everyone within the organization has a really good sense of where they're going and they they stick to that vision and uh, that's something that you really have to admire about them. When people are talking about uh, what I would consider to be kind of fads, you know, they they stick to the vision. And you oftentimes use this this uh, uh, example of like a truck, you know, and a car. And a lot of the computing devices that get a lot of attention are these cars. And, you know, they're just your your standard like consumer mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to consume content mm-hmm. on this thing. And what system 76 has been making has been things for makers, things that things that you can use to actually create something. And it has the power that you need and the, <clears throat> and all the things that you would expect right. to be able to just get. I, shit uh, done. I like, you know, Carl said to me and we were talking fast in the past and I've heard him say it to other people, that he's always his mindset's always people could use more computing power. They can always use more power. Don't give them less powerful machines. And uh, the uh, the new Oryx that just got updated with the uh, GTX 10 series GPU, yeah, that's turning my head. I would love a 10 series GPU in a mobile workstation. They would make some of the OBS work on the road so much more feasible. Some of the, <clears throat> I just oh man, this is a nice looking rig. And by the way. None of this is sponsored. This is all we're giving this to System 76 absolutely free. If anything, you could say it's costing me money because I should be charging for all this plug. I'd, I'd vote that they earned it. I agree. That's exactly why we're doing they, it. It's, it's, this is legit, and I'm super excited for Ryan because I think they're a company that's been you know in a position, Noah, for uh, a while now that hasn't fully gotten the recognition they get. A lot of people go, oh, well, you know, they're just um, repackaged and relabeled Clevos, and these exactly. people have no yeah, idea and, what they're talking you know about. Interestingly enough, it's gotten to the point now where I can't even stand to to have a dis- I, I I used to go and explain that. You know, I'd go in and I'd say, "Well, that's you. You don't even know what you're talking about." And let me explain why. And I'd go through the entire explanation. I can't even stand to do that anymore no, because it drives me nuts. Yeah. And the other thing is, when people do idiotic things like when people say idiotic things like that, when they say things like, "Oh, they're just rebranding computers and selling cheap junk that 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 they install Linux on and and hack together stuff," when you say that. You're not only you're not only exemplifying your your own ignorance, but you're you're also insulting their integrity. And if you ever go and meet these people and and sit down in their office, they're I mean, people think that people think I'm a zealot when it comes to running. You know, <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, the people people are like, oh, Noah's you know he refuses to use anything else. Yeah, go visit System Seventy Six for a little bit and see what you think. I mean, they, <laughs> they are converting people from Linux. They converted the guy who sells the alcohol downstairs. And then once they convert him to Linux, they gave him a job. Like, and, and, and stuff like that is just, it's never going to be fun. Like, that's just not something they're going to talk about. And there's really no way for them to talk about it. And then you started talking about their provisioning system. If you've ever had to work in a corporate environment where you have pixie booting and stuff like that, 
That's nothing. It's got nothing on their system. They plug, they have a, a specified VLAN, they plug a system in, they push a key combination, and boom, now the computer has 1404, all the drivers, yeah. all the little tweaks, everything's done. Boom, you push the button again, now it's 1604. With, and, and, and again, nothing that ever really they're going to get any attention of. And it's like a world-class enterprise-grade system, and nobody knows about it. Well, I'd like to t- say, too, that, you know, when you buy a machine and you are... You're like, wow! I got this new insert computer name here, and you and you sit down, and you install Ubuntu on it, and or Arch or anything, and you find, oh man, wireless doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the most frustrating thing because you're so happy to have your new machine, mm-hmm. and then you put the operating system that you want to run on it, yeah, yep. on the machine, yep, and something doesn't work. And I've then, just got. I've just gotten used to putting my own wireless cards in when that happens. Yeah, and and then I talk I talk to them and I watch their process, and they 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 take they they spend so much time meticulously making sure that all of the hardware in this machine is supported, and if there needs to be, you know, they put together a repository full of the drivers. They make sure it's updated. They tr- they try to stay on top of. You know, making sure that it's always working. So they're they're testing, you know, the newest version of Ubuntu, and they're testing all these these things to make sure that they can get ahead of any changes that are made upstream to make sure that their their hardware always works. I remember talking to Matt Hartley, and he said that you know they they pushed down a uh, something messed up, and then like. Ha- like a few hours later he got an update from their repository that <laughs> fixed whatever messed up and like i that's the type of like hard work that they put into making sure that you don't have to worry about your hardware and you shouldn't have to worry about your hardware you should be able to just jump on your machine get shit done and know that it's going to work yeah and that's what that experience that you get when you buy a system 76 machine and that's honestly what we deserve. That's what we as Linux users deserve. Mm-hmm. We, I, I think so. it's it's what the point I've made a long time. It's like you want to have that almost MacBook-like out-of-the-box experience. And you exactly. have to get – there's other vendors out there for sure that are doing this, but there's a real value in a company that's been in it for the long haul. So, Ryan, I am – Super excited for you, and uh, maybe if this podcasting gig doesn't work out, they can open up a position for Noah and I someday. But <laughs> while, while we were talking about um, hardware that you just want to work and get uh, and just get your shit done, um, that might be a good spot to transition to Internet of Things because uh, last week the, the conversation basically devolved from uh, I was thinking about picking up physical hardware switches so that way... I could manage my hue lights that are controlled over Wi-Fi. And Noah, you kind of thought that was crazy. I uh, so so let me recap, and then you guys can then you guys can can take points of discussion. What I have a fundamental problem with is the idiotification of people through through the masses. And so when they come out with these smart controlled, Wi-Fi controlled, whatever controlled things, that's that's problem one. I have problem two is. I don't like things that happen that I'm not aware of. So when you have some sort of light switch and you put it in and it calls out home to some server and then that server then brokers a connection to some sort of app and all this stuff is happening up and I don't have control over that. If I'm not actually forwarding a port over to an IP address that I have set onto a device, if I'm not controlling that traffic, 
I have a problem with that. That's problem two. And then problem three is I have a problem with with things that aren't uh, with, that aren't standard. So if you you the I think the thing that originally started this discussion was you uh, a viewer sent in uh, a, a some other kind of remotely controlled light, and they're like, here you go, and you're like, it's it's some sort of smart control light, and you download right. some sort of app and do it. Yeah. I don't. I have a problem with that. I, it, things have to fit some sort of a standard mm -hmm. so that everything works together. Now I guess before uh, before I go all like oh. Noah's a curmudgeon, and he doesn't like technology, yep. and he doesn't like new things. I feel mm -hmm. like we should disclaim that we have done literally an entire episode dedicated to going yep. through all of the automation in your house. Um, right. And I assume every, that is continued. Every light, every light is controlled by a computer. Right. That computer, though, sits on its own separate VLAN, and I control which devices have access to mm -hmm. that machine. Right. And it's and, and the app has, you know, there's... But it's and, not and just it lights goes, in your house. It's it's you know, locks, it's, it's motion sensors, it's alarms, you have key right. card access. I mean, out right. of anybody, you probably have some of the most standing in terms of automating not just your house, but your office and your clients. But really, yes. I mean, your whole damn house is wired up. And yet right. I find it ironic that you're one of the most vocal, uh, I don't know if anti-advocate is a <laughs> yeah. word. Oh, well, you can say it. Anti-IoT. <laughs> I am anti-IoT. <laughs> And, and I, I think part of your part of your main concern is us as consumers have no control over these things. Really, it goes and through no a proxy. Yeah. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yeah. Now uh, Ryan is joining us to tell us. Well, hey, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe there is some other things out there, uh, like like things like Z-Wave that could bring all of these things under one umbrella. Am I kind of grokking what you're putting down, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. If you scroll down on the Z-Wave page mm -hmm. and you look at, there's a. There we go, right there. Z-Wave, yep. It talks about, real quickly, about the different, you know, the Amazon Echo and the and the Apple Watch and and all sorts of different oh, devices yeah. Yeah. that help you, that use the Z-Wave protocol to, to allow you to control the devices in your house. And when I was writing skills for Mycroft, uh, I have Philips Hue lights and I have, uh, we bought some other random lights that are like, the off-brand, uh, <laughs> and I can't even remember the different brands. Yeah, I know there's a lot. <laughs> but, they, but I made sure that they used the Zigbee or the Z-Wave protocol mm -hmm. so that I would be able to control them using something like, for instance, like the SmartThings hub. If you if you go to, like the Samsung SmartThings hub has, contains both a Zigbee and a Z-Wave radio, mm -hmm. and if you... If oh, you're really? With these standards, they're, they're like... They're like Wi-Fi, you know, or some other radio. And you find standard. that there's a lot of adoption across the industry for this stuff. But yeah. hold on, hold on. Let's uh, so so let let's let's uh, let's break this down a little bit. So first of all, when you say that these devices, there's a big difference between being a Zigbee device or supporting Zigbee. I'll give you an example. Crestron, for example, supports Zigbee. I can tie Zigbee stuff into a Crestron system, but Z Crestron is not a Zigbee system. Crestron has their own protocol and their own system mm. for communicating to all of this stuff. They just happen to support Zigbee. So my first question is, just because, it, it, so when, when it comes to like, uh, and I don't know a whole lot about the internet of things, individual devices, but take one of these lights and you can pick one. The first question I would ask you is, does it communicate in any other way other than just straight up Zigbee? I it depends on the device. You know, the with for instance, like my Philips Hue lights, uh, I I want to say that they're Zigbee, but I'm not sure. But they are. The, they're Zigbee. They support but, Zigbee anyway. They but as far as I can tell, they they just communicate <laughs> over Zigbee. Well, how, what else would they? You know, they're well, they're plugged in just to the power. The Philips app. 
Hmm. Right, but you but you use a hub, but you don't right. have to use the Philips Hue hub. You can use other hubs. There's o- there's even open source, you know, applications like uh, hmm. uh, uh, OpenHab and uh, mm-hmm. and Home Assistant. And right. then I've even seen those seen but, those paired with Raspberry Pis with like a a Zigbee radio, you know, or a Z-Wave radio, little like right. USB plug-in for but, controlling but my them. My point, my point is, and I don't know the answer to this question, but but my my question is, if if so I'll give you an example of where I would be opposed to it. If you have a given light and you could use another hub and so it supports Zigbee, but it also supports proprietary standard XYZ that ships with it. And that's how whatever the app that comes with that light, which in, uh, in, small, in smaller things, if that supports that device is totally out, out of I'm, I'm totally against that device. Yeah, so you don't know the, when it's going to talk. You don't know if it somehow gets an internet connection or somebody brings that hub in or that. Yeah. I, I'll give you an example of where this actually bit me. We bought this baby monitor thing. It was a little video. Oh, yeah. Baby monitor yep, thing, yep, right? yep. And, and so, and what happened was, and I, I, being all against the Internet of Things and all this, I didn't have it connected to anything. But because the radio frequencies are absolutely identical and there's no encryption between those things, I'm getting my neighbors yes. down the street. Yes. I'm receiving their, their signal. So yeah. I am wa- inside their, you know, that woman goes to breastfeed her kid or my wife goes to breastfeed our kid. And now it's being broadcasted all over the neighborhood. And so... I want to know exactly how these devices are communicating and I want to make sure that it can, it can only communicate with the device that I tell it can, not just if, so for in, in my hypothetical example, if you have one of these lights and it goes to communicate with one of these hubs, does it have to be paired to that hub or does it talk to, if, if somebody else has a hub, will it talk to it? Those kind of things. Those are the things I want to know. And, and until I have a clear understanding of how that technology works, I don't want to use it. Yeah, I know that there's there's been some conversations. Uh, I can't. I wish I could remember who I was talking to, but um, she works for some some agency in Washington D.C. that does like policy around this stuff, and uh, and she was telling me that you know there's been a lot of conversations around encrypted uh, communications between these devices and and the the hubs. Oh yeah, uh, I, I, I I've heard know. about that too. I don't know what the timeline is on that. I don't know what the conversation looks like around that. Uh, I wish I could remember what my setup process was with the Philips Hue Hub. Like, what I don't hmm. remember you if know, I went through a pairing process or not. Now that you mention it, so here's but. what it sounds like to me, Ryan. Is it sounds like um, these devices support other management protocols mm-hmm. uh, as long as the vendor decides to implement those protocols. And so if that's the case, then we as consumers, if we do want these quote-unquote Internet of Things where your locks and your lights and, 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 and there's probably many other good examples you might want to make, uh, we should be buying the ones that enable this other types of management because we have to vote with our wallet here because what I'd be afraid of is, is a vendor comes along and makes it crazy cheap and easy, but it only works with their system. Like uh, say like a Google Assistant comes out and the Google Assistant has its own protocol and mm-hmm. only devices that support that can work with it. So all of it, major vendors start putting their, their energy there instead of, say, something open and freely available to people. So it, what, do, what do you think? Is, that a, is, there, is there a balance there that if we're not careful, we might lose this interoperability? Or do you feel like it's pretty well entrenched? No, I, that's, what I, that's why I wanted to come on here and talk. I'm very happy that, that it looks like at this point that two open protocols, Z-Wave and Zigbee, that you can implement on your own devices or on, you know, or you can grab like some random hub that somebody, that some, you know, white label 
company made or or some third party that you've never heard of, but it has the features that you want, you know, created. That to me is interesting and powerful and mm-hmm. something that I'm I'm happy about because mm-hmm. what I originally assumed before I actually looked into it was that the Philips Hue stuff only worked with the Philips Hue stuff and they they were using their own like made up protocol. Yeah, right. And mm-hmm. I was worried about that that if I got like a smart things hub that I wouldn't be able to use anything that wasn't Samsung. And I was wrong about that. And as Mm. I looked into home assistant and what they were using, like the different APIs that they were using in the different, uh, in the, and the different products that it worked with, I was getting really excited. How is it communicating those APIs? So it's every single one is implemented differently. Right. So you have to look in a case how, by case how basis. Talk, how do I talk from one device to the other? So when you're it, with specifically Home Assistant, mm-hmm. you have to actually like go through on a skill by I, I call them skill uh, by an uh, plug in by plug in basis and mm-hmm. and set it up, which it does kind of suck. But you know, and Home Assistant want, is the open source home automation platform that lets you manage all these different devices in one open source. It's like central spot. Right. And they, and it has, and it tells you how to, I I was looking at the documentation, but it's been a couple months now, but it tells you how to like, you know, connect to a different hub or set up. Like, uh, I saw somebody's, uh, tutorial on setting up like a raspberry Pi as your hub. Mm. And, and that, that to me was really interesting because you were talking about how you don't want it to be tied into like some cloud service or whatever. Right. You know, that's your, that's an opportunity to do that, but it wouldn't be possible if these, these protocols and, 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 and let me clarify not only am i against tying it in like a man you know tying it into a cloud service i'm against even even passing a, a, a single byte of information if it, i don't want it leaving my house so even if it's as simple as you have to generate a key for this one to talk to that one and so you go to manufacturer's website and type in your serial number and then it generates this little key and then you put it in i've seen systems that do something like that even that I'm against. And the reason for that is because I am a, I'm a 10 year kind of guy. I buy a TV, I put it on the wall. I want it there for 10 years. I buy a light switch. I put it in my, God, I put a light switch in my house. It better be there for 20 years. I am, I am not going to replace all of my stuff in my house every three years as this stuff gets updated. And so if a company goes out of business that is required for me to use any of this stuff, I'm against that as well. (laughs) Yeah, you should. And that's why, but that's why I'm so excited. If, if, Mm-hmm. Z-Wave and Zigbee stick around, which who knows if they, they will. will. But, They've been around for 10 years, yeah. But assuming that they do, that is what excites me because then mm-hmm. I can kind of make those decisions and not worry about, oh, if I re- order this random thing online and it's by, you know, GE or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to use it. And well, that's so I, that's exciting have, to me. I did have an experience and it wasn't Zigbee, it was X10, but there I did have an experience where I, or it was a security system. And the idea behind the security system was it communicated over X10 and so I control control the lights. And so I used that logic. I was like, well, it doesn't matter if this company exists or not because I'll be able to, it just, it runs over X10. Well, it turns out, the way that the the way that the the system got active and the way that you had to, to to pair the little sensors of the security system up, you had to use that it had to call out to the internet and 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 use their stupid service to pair the thing. So even though I could control all of my X10 stuff with this box, it didn't work as a security system anymore. So it's not enough just to say, does it support a, an open standard? And so then I'll be able to carry on even if the company goes away. I need to know if that company is in any way necessary for me to use the device. I'd love to to take a to take a week or two and see if 
see if I can't set up some kind of experiment to see what <laughs> all I can run without using like the yeah. legitimate API. And well, here's like, what you do. Here's and do it like do. on a private land that's not connected to the internet yeah, too, right? Exactly. That's exactly right. If you want, you, you want to please know, go to a place that has <laughs> no internet and set and, and unbox all of the stuff and then set it up and make it all work. And if all, it all works there and I don't have to have it connected you know, to the internet. I guess, no, I, I mean, I've good. never done the packet level thing. Uh, but mm -hmm. the, for the Hughes lights, so I guess everybody knows this, but just in case you're just watching, you don't know this, we have some Hughes lights in the studio that, that we try to match the color of the lights in front of me to the background behind me, so that way there's... Anyways, uh, I have never, ever once activated these things, created a Hughes account, connected them to any service. I have... Mm, that's not entirely true, because you installed your app off yes, the internet. That, that is the only thing I've phone. done. But once I installed the app, it did a WAN discovery, I mean, it did a LAN discovery over yeah. Wi-Fi. I never, right. like, paired it to an account. And and the downside of that is, is I have no control over these lights when I'm not in the studio. So that's the downside yeah. to it. But, uh, but here's, here's my question, too. And this actually came up in the chat room. We just had this discussion. My first question is, do you really need control of your lights when you're not at a place like, i mean really the only maybe just to turn them off exactly but you can do that with occupancy sensors so like in my house if there's if there's a room that goes more than 10 minutes without any occupancy if there, there's occupancy sensors in every room if any room goes more than 10 minutes it kills the lights in that room so i never have to worry about the lights being left on and it happens to turn them on too and you walk in but i never have to worry about wanting to turn the lights off right. and the only time I want to adjust and say, well, I want this light a little lower, a little up or whatever is if I'm actually in the house. And the, in fact, the only thing that I remotely access my house uh, is my door system. And that's because if I've got heating and air guy coming over, I don't actually have to be there. I can watch him on the cameras so I can see everything he's doing and I can control what parts of the house he gets into. Uh, and so I can, I can let him in and he can go downstairs and go into our furnace room, work on the furnace. And I don't even have to be there for that. Um, no. past that, I don't really need connection. If I really needed to, I could always VPN in and then reset yeah. that VLAN and get to it. I'm, I, I'm with you. It, it I have had, situations where for instance when the my when i had uh the smart things hub at the mycroft office mm -hmm. and a couple times the power went out mm -hmm. and, it, and it notified me that like it can't get to the hub mm -hmm. and like this is not this is both bad and good it's bad in that the of course samsung has this information you know all the information that's getting from that hub but at the same time like it was really good because I was like, crap, the the power's out. Like I need to or the internet's out. Like right. I need to figure out what's going on so, over there. And, and I'm and I'm not opposed to I'm not opposed to having notifications of that kind of stuff. I just want to control them. So for example, in my house, I don't really care if the power goes out. That doesn't matter. What I do care about is if my rack downstairs loses power, but my UPS is set up to give me a notification anytime the anytime it loses AC power right. down there. So I can accomplish the same things. I just don't have to, I just don't have to send a hope and a prayer to the internet of things gods that the, Samsung is only <laughs> using that for for my benefit and not using it yeah. to you know for and their it's benefit. not it's not but the but what uh chris was talking about last week is a really on it's really on point and that's the 99 percent of people who who have dreamed of having this type of ability mm -hmm. to you know control their house with their voice or with you know some kind of really cool dashboard or tablet that hangs on their wall they they don't have the ability to set that up themselves and it's been cost prohibitive to have someone else set that up for you i mean it's been around forever 
and you see these Boy. stories of like yeah. really rich guys with like their really cool home automation uh, setup. But now it's to the point where my dad, upon seeing my Hue lights, was like, "I'm going to get those and set those up," and he's he's done within like. Yeah. 15 minutes and it's then, interesting ryan because that's that's so perfectly under underscores sort of a typical dichotomy dichotomy we find ourselves in the open source community is there is the easy button like for me right now it's like plex could be the easy button but setting up a super crazy great cody system with a nas back end and an mb back end that manages all of that that's way cooler for me but it's not something an average person wants whereas plex actually is managing to break into the average home person theater with clients for the PlayStation and whatnot. Internet of Things is a lot of things. When it comes to, you know, computers, phones, and Internet of Things, there's this category where it's very valid for some people to just want the really easy version, and there's the there's the category of people that want the really geeky thing. Um, and so, Ryan, I'm kind of curious. We've talked about Hughes Lights predominantly. Is there either, Are there other Internet of Things type toys and devices and, and tools that you've used in your home that you actually find to be valuable, maybe even more than a toy? So... I really, really, really like the lighting. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. like, that's the, that's where I've spent the most time because what happened was I, for instance, when I go to sleep at night, I'm laying in bed and I'm reading and then I'm like, I just want my lights to be off, but I don't want to get up and turn them off. Like, this is such a simple thing. So I just tap on my phone, turn off lights, they're off you know, and then I go to sleep. The, the other, the other stuff that I've played with were, uh, the switches, which you talked about getting yeah. the switches allowed me to control multiple different lights right. at the same time, which is kind of neat. So you hit this one and it, it was in a really big building and it turns off like half of the lights here, but they're not, they're not on the same, uh, uh, power you know so that wouldn't normally typically be possible uh and then there are different sensors you know that that have existed but now they're using these same protocols so there's motion sensors there's water sensors there's occupancy sensors and occupancy the sensors aspect is extremely interesting because i've seen examples of a setup where I arrive at the Jupiter Broadcasting Studio, it recognizes that it's me at the door, and then a series of events internally are triggered, temperature, lighting, all these things. They seem like um, they seem like a bunch of first world concerns at first, and like, oh, well, these are just silly things that when you have extra money, you're just going to blow your money on. But um, it turns out, at least this is my opinion, at the end of the day, we are just... We are just hairless monkeys, and when you can when you can modify the lighting a little bit, and when you can when you can automatically take care of things for you that normally take even just a teeny tiny bit of brain space, it's actually it's actually kind of nice. Not only does the lighting help with mood and help with family dynamic, and it can actually make the night better for an entire family. I know that sounds like a strange thing to say, but it actually the hues, lights, and setting colors and setting the mood and tone. It, it's made a huge difference in some of the uh, examples I've heard. Uh, my partner mm-hmm. Hadia uses it in her acupuncture clinic to yeah. um, adjust the lighting in the back where people are resting, getting acupuncture. She uses the hues spotlights, the big ones, 
and manages that from her phone to set it with and match the the, the music and all of that. It's it, she's using it in a clinical setting in a, in a in a in a way that's very clever because it sets a certain kind of mood and it sets a certain kind of tone, which hopefully for her later translates to more business. And so you can use it in sort of ways that are just nice at that base monkey level. Oh, the lighting in here is very nice, and when and like silly things too, like when the sun starts to set, the hues lights can automatically adjust their color temperature to to sort of represent that. So you sort of get a warmer, darker lighting in your house as the sun goes down. And those things can help you transition into having a better night's sleep. Uh, so there's a lot of things here to, to mess with. It's not just a stupid way to waste your money, and it's not all just toys either. Um, and that's why devices out there to help you manage all of this are, are going to be super, super important. So we've had, a, we've had a lot of things we've covered. Do you want to give any additional resources and ideas for folks, Ryan? Oh, hold on. I don't hear you yet. Hit pop that button for me. There you go. I would just I would just point people at you know a bunch of different uh, resources like OpenHab, like Home Assistant. Um, one use case that my wife and I have is we have a scene that's set up in uh, in uh, the Smart Things Hub where you know when we're getting ready to to uh, smoke hookah <laughs> at the end of the you know sometimes <laughs> like it, it turns down the lights in those rooms to to a a bunch of different colors that look cool together and it puts on and you can have like an if this then that thing where it turns on like a certain type of music on pandora on the tv on the chromecast and like all of that comes together to create a really cool scene and so uh i think that we're just at the beginning of people using this to do some really really complex stuff normal people doing this to do some really really complex stuff and so i would just tell people to check out like home assistant is a great one and you have that in the show notes and I'm sure you'll link it, but yep. it's, but it's open source. And so not only can you get in there and if you are a developer, you know, work with some of the APIs, work with some of the, add some more, you know, uh, plugins so that you can control more. Even more things, which well, it already has a ton, really, Ryan. It has a ton. Yeah. And it, it, but everybody benefits from that. And like, if you look, there's some interesting tie-ins that could happen there. You know, like if your calendar, if you have some event on your calendar, it changes the stuff, you know, and, and things like that, that would be really, really cool. And honestly, we come back to the same thing every time, Chris, uh, you and I want to have the Star Trek experience. Everywhere. <laughs> Computer tea hot. <laughs> yeah. And so the, uh, I would love to see that be an open source one. And I'm, I'm happy. I'm just happy that we don't have a like 20 different proprietary yeah. uh, communication standards for these things. Like that's, I get, I understand Noah's problem I, with it all, but that I'm, I'm happy that there is a, a possibility that we can actually have some, some openness and, and some interoperability. And Linux users and Linux users aren't left out either, which is, which is rare and nice. We'll see where it goes. What were you going to? Noah, you had a closing thought there. I, I, yeah, my my closing thought is just this: is that I I, I like the concept of a uh, of of a, of a Star Trek experience, but you know, a couple of things. One is oftentimes <clears throat> these things that sound really cool end up being a really bad science project, and I probably got a little hurt early on because uh, I was one of the early adopters playing with X10 back in the nineties. Mm. And if you ever did that, like my first the first condo that my wife and I lived in, uh, and I tried to automate it with X10. And it was a disaster. Like, you know, she'd go into the bathroom and she'd push the button. But because of the, the way the RF protocol thing was supposed to go back to the hub and then send the command up to the light switch, switch that was supposed to actually turn the light on, it would miss it sometimes. But it was like it wasn't even consistent. It was like one out of every 50 times. And so 
then she just couldn't turn the light on in the bathroom. And then I got yelled at and it just, I had a really rough start to automation. And so I am, I am really into, uh, you know, to long track, long history with a, with a good track record, um, you know, professional level stuff, not yeah. so much the, you know, the, the yeah. entry level stuff. And then the yeah. second thing is, is I under, I get the appeal for the, uh, I say one thing and then all of this stuff happens, but if we're not controlling how that stuff happens, if we're not paying attention to how that stuff happens, I think you very quickly slip into, uh, you know, you know, being a slave to your technology rather than owning it. And hmm. I just, I have a fundamental, I'm just, you're never going to sell me on that. Well, no matter how cool it is. All right. We, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the lines have been drawn and uh, I have to give you a nod out of standing. You have been literally messing with this for, like you said, since the nineties. However, I will say this. Here's where I feel like it's a little different and has me excited. So first of all, if you've ever getting kind of bored, if you get kind of bored with computing, if you feel like there's not a lot of interesting things happen, tablets, phones, blah, it's boring, right? Internet of Things is new. It's dynamic. There's, there is new things happening here. I hate that term. I hate blogging a term. I hate, what are all the terms we hate? Cloud. I hate cloud. I hate all these terms, you guys. But if you put these crappy terms aside and you look at it, there's actually some interesting things happening here. And here's the best part. What about derp learning? Derp learning's a big one. That's a that's a big one that I don't like the name of. Uh, except for yeah. Anyways, uh, there's something really exciting though at the core of all of this. It's it takes advantage of one of open source core strengths, and that is to adapt, to expand, and assimilate like the Borg. And that's why even though there's so many different standards, some of them are not open, but they all can be brought together under the hood, under the umbrella of open source projects like OpenHab, which promotes itself as easily running on a Raspberry Pi, which if you think about it, that's the perfect type of centralized router. We've already mentioned it before, Home Assistant, home-assistant.io. These are open source projects that bring all these different crazy things together under one hood, under your control, and there's some actual fun things you can get your hands into, start building things and connecting hardware and software and managing it with Linux and open source. That, at the end of the day, seems like a plus for me because it could equal, eventually, more Linux users. And you all know we're all about that. And that is Linux Action Show's first of what I'm sure will be many debates about these Internet of Things devices. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But before we get out of here, we're going to thank System76 and read some emails. Yeah, it's System76. They sponsor this show now for quite a while. Long before Ryan was a twinkle in our eye, System76 was creating machines born to run Linux. Go over there and grab a machine, a desktop, a laptop, and did you know, also servers too. System76.com, powerful computers to help you do more. And guess what? Built for Linux. You don't want to have to worry about it. System 76. There's a machine here in the studio. I don't want to have to worry about it. Guess what? It's, it's a bonobo. I, 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 this bonobo has been my go-to champ now for I don't know how many years, and that's the machine I'm talking to Noah on right now. A bonobo from System 76. Desktops, laptops, built right here in the US of A. And you heard us mention it earlier. Oh, man. That new Oryx Pro, it makes me want to reach out to a reseller I happen to know of System76 that accepts Bitcoin and buy myself one. <laughs> System76.com has got Oryx Pros now with the GTX 10 cards. Oh, my God. And, you know, I guess with starting with it, and I don't, I'm not like Mr. Graphics here. You'd have to ask the beard. But I guess starting with the GTX 10 series, there's not like mobile series cards anymore. Did you know this? 
It's like no, I didn't. It's it's the card because they've gotten the power consumption down on the 10 series that it's it's the desktop and the laptop cards are more equivalent than they have ever been. You'd have to ask the beard for more information. He knows more. But as somebody who's just recently got into a game that takes all of the graphics performance that I have and I also happen to have a workflow that is extremely GPU intensive. Oryx Pros, oh my god, with the GTX 10 series graphics card, yes please. Plus you can put like a thousand drives in that. That might be an exaggeration, but it's close to it in that laptop. System76.com. Thanks to them for supporting the show, but really, thanks to them for just making kick-ass systems and being part of the community. It's pretty cool to have a laptop and desktop and server maker as a sponsor of the show that makes Linux computers. This show is 10 years old, and that concept, if you would have told me 10 years ago, blows my freaking mind. (laughs) System76.com. Go check them out. Okay. So actually, uh, this is a legitimately not necessarily at all planned, other than Noah thought to throw it in the feedback. Um, and it is kind of perfect what we just talked about. This is, uh, this is a blog post, the Cisco blogs, and it's about uh, Andrew's experience on listening to Jupiter Broadcasting shows and picking up a desktop. And if you're curious to hear what it's like for somebody to jump into Linux and do all of the above, and do it with a System76 machine. This is great. I'll tell you. I'll give you a little spoiler alert. It went so well, he became a patron for the network. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. <laughs> That's a good sign. Uh, but you can read the entire post. We'll have it linked in the show notes. It's, it's nice to see that from time to time. So, uh, I, was, I was worried as I was going through. I was like, how's it going to end? How's it going to end? I was oh, too. I knew, I, knew that yeah. all along. I knew that all along. No, I, I actually it. didn't. I actually, because, I, you know, sometimes those blog posts come up and they're like, man, this XYZ didn't work for me. I, I don't know why those crazy guys at the Linux Action Show ever recommended this. I'm out. And I always feel bad because it's like, well, that's a really unique experience. No, this guy. Not only is it a unique experience, I, I personally, what I found is a lot of times they haven't taken it past, I ran into a problem. Nobody ever said that there's going to be a problem for your experience. <laughs> it's just that your problems will be handled if you run into a problem. So, uh, and most people don't take it that far. Um, I liked it. It was a good post. We don't have to read the whole thing. We'll let it. It's one of those. It's like it's a roundup style. You can go read it on your own afterwards. So Nathan writes into the show to VPN or not to VPN. I've been in this position myself recently, and I've talked about it on Linux Unplugged. Uh, Hi, Chris and the team. Huge fan of the shows for maybe four years now. That's cool. But my question is and will shed some light on the discovery of a viewer you have. He says, my first child is almost here, and I want to make sure my family's life is safe and secure going forward. I have been there. Uh, Before I set up a VPN server with a Raspberry Pi, likely, could I clear the air, please? Number one, using a NAS at home for photos and files. I log into other devices using their MyCloud website, plus via Android, uh, a Qfile app, and it connects with SSL enabled. So setting up a VPN isn't actually needed because he does have SSL. But OpenVPN does look straightforward. It would allow him to connect to his other services behind his network, and for privacy and security, uh, it might be a nice plus. But... He's not sure if it's necessarily needed. A VPN's only really useful when I have things like open Wi-Fi or I'm out and about, and I'm maybe visiting other countries. But for keeping things anonymous, for things like torrents, those can be achieved using Tor. So again, do I really want a VPN? He also says he could have a handful of scripts to make things easier for his life, but he wants to know if we could shed some light on his overall problem. He's strapped for time. He only has a limited amount left before the baby's here and would like to know the best way to keep his home network in private. What do you think, Noah? 
Uh, I am I am more and more a big solution or a, a big proponent of simple solutions. So, for example, like and mm. this is kind of, this is kind of cheating, but the uh, the Microtech routers that we put in, it's literally you check a box for OpenVPN, install the OpenVPN client on your uh, on your desktop, and now you have a VPN established. Then you can you can tweak a lot of stuff in there, but just getting it set up that's a really easy way to just kind of get everything kind of laid, and then you can go ahead and start tweaking different problems as they sure. come up or as you decide to change things. I think I would pass this on to Nathan. I wouldn't confuse VPN with protecting what you do online. It's more about think of it as like tunneling to a to a spot on the internet and popping <laughs> up there, which mm-hmm. can be useful and can sort of hide where you're coming from. Say, you mm-hmm. know, you're um, uh, as an example, if you were a U.S. intelligence agency and you wanted to hack the DNC and release all of their emails to WikiLeaks, you would probably VPN to Russia first and then connect to the DNC server and do the hack. So it would make right. it look like you came from Russia. It doesn't necessarily mean you are in Russia. So there is some mm-hmm. value to there's some value to that, but it's not it's not keeping everything you do online a secret. So don't confuse the two things. Also, it might be worth looking into plugins like uh, HTTPS anywhere and services like OpenDNS which can protect mm-hmm. your network from Malware, porn, etc. Yeah, and the other thing is, I use I use a, I'm a huge proponent of uh, privateinternetaccess.com. I've been a member there for years. Uh, What's that? Know, it's like I've, it's, I don't think uh, I've ever seen it. Oh, it's great! It's a great! It's great! You, I can't believe it. Uh, so, privateinternetaccess.com. You basically there is you don't sign up with your name, you don't put your email, none of that stuff. They give you a unique ID number and a password, oh, and okay. you pay them, and then you can log in, and they keep no records. And it has come up in court a couple of times where they have sued Private Internet Access and well, said, "That's demand- nice." We demand the records for who was connected this time. And they said, listen, we'd love to give them to you, and you're welcome to come search your system. We just don't keep logs. So really there's actually that, some, like, there's some paper precedent. trail where they've done some litigation, and they yep. said we can't provide it. That is, yep. that's yep. the it, real it peace of mind. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so, and I, I've been a, I've been a member there for years. And so, uh, any basically, anytime I'm doing anything, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be illegal or wrong or immoral or any yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. Just sometimes you just don't want the headache of right. having certain things tracked to you. So, and so that, it just an icon up in my uh, in, in Ubuntu and I click on my VPN and a little padlock shows up. Now I can browse through them. Mm-hmm. At the risk of spoiling a couple of episodes of Linux Unplugged, which I would actually recommend you go back and listen to because I covered this a lot, mm-hmm. my ISP, about three hops up from me, is doing an inline proxy. It's breaking SSL connections, it's breaking HTTP connections, and it's proxying everything I do. And mm-hmm. it's not only is that a massive privacy violation, but mm-hmm. it turns out these sons of bitches don't know how to design a network, and so it's also extremely slow because so many other people on the network are hitting the same proxy server, and they can literally introduce almost a thousand milliseconds of extra latency. Wow! Into, yeah, it's literally noticeable, mm-hmm. and it drives me crazy. And using a VPN bypasses it completely because I I go I go through the VPN, all of my traffic's tunneled through that. I never hit their proxy. And going through the VPN actually makes individual page loading faster. Right there, mm-hmm. full stop. All I need. And so what I and it sounds like private internet access is a badass one that has a a legal record of defending their users' privacy. You know, the other thing they have too is they have different different uh, you know outlets that you can connect to. So yes. for example, for you, if you want to browse, you're doing yeah. daily browsing stuff. Yeah. You connect to San Francisco, but you want to do something that you know is so, maybe a little shady. You can go outside the country even. So. I don't have the same legal background, but I got a ton of recommendations for people I really respect in our community for AirVPN. I've talked about this in Linux Unplugged. Mm-hmm. Same thing. They let you pick your outlet. They they have a really good system to see which servers are busy, how many users are connected. They make it crazy easy to download and just 
configure a network manager to automatically connect to the VPN for you. So just like you connect to Wi-Fi, you connect to this VPN, and it's nice because they just generate the scripts for you using their website, and you download it, and then you point network manager at it. So airvpn.org is my VPN service provider, and it sounds like privateinternetaccess.org is Noah's. Yep. A couple of yep. good ones. Used them for a while. Ha! Well, there you go. So if uh, you have a VPN service provider you love, leave a comment, linuxactionshow.reddit.com or on YouTube where you watch this potentially. Also, open source projects, news, um, anything you think we should spotlight or your feedback, also welcome at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Don't forget the show is live on Sundays over at jblive.tv. Get it converted to your local time zone at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Send us your emails at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. And last... But not least, do not forget about the brand new show, User Air, premiered on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network last week, so you can get in at the ground level. Episode 2 is going to be recorded after this show, and will probably come out Wednesday morning, assuming all of that new fancy technology we're relying on actually works. We'll see. All right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you right back here next week. So here's the thing, WW, is if, uh, so WW says that instead of talking about the Linus hit pieces, we should just not cover them. I think that's sort of like saying if I just put my head in the sand, then it's not a problem. It's like they're still going to get attention regardless if we cover them or not. That's the first thing. And second of all, I think it's important for the show to take a position that we're not taking this Linus shit standing down anymore. These people are creating a narrative that is bogus, and they're trying to, they're trying to push out one of the greatest contributors to open source of our time. That's the show's take. Oh yeah, Ryan, uh, Noah had a question for yeah, you. What, what, what instrument do you play, Ryan? <laughs> Every instrument. I have two guitars back here. I have an electric guitar there. I have a cajon in my closet. I have a, a violin in my closet. I have a ukulele in my closet. I have this banjo that I made right here. I, I'm, I'm not. Branding. I'm not quite. I'm not quite that diverse. I have. I. I can. I can bounce around from drums, guitar, and p uh, piano, keyboard, whatever. And I, I've got. I've got a collection of little instruments. I don't suppose you happen to play saxophone. I do play saxophone. Could you teach me how to play the soprano saxophone? I have a soprano saxophone. I just don't know how to play it. Well, I can kind of like bang out some notes, but I'd like to learn how to play it better. I play the alto sax, but I. But I don't know if there's a considerable. Yeah, mostly, mostly what I need help with with embouchure. I, I can, I can, uh, I, I, you know, it's, I can, I can figure out the key, uh, you know, like the keying, but like it's, it's like proper breath control and, and embouchure. Like the problem is, I'm every every other instrument I've ever played except for the flute is I play with my hands, right? My drum kit I play with the hands and keyboard. I was playing piano since I was three years old. Play that with my hands, and so like when I tried to go into like woodwinds, it just like it it screws me up, and I'm like I can't. I, I, my mind just isn't set up and like and counting with your feet and stuff like it's just weird yeah I uh, I started out I don't know what instrument I started out probably I probably started out on saxophone and then uh, then I joined a, a band and uh, and kind of when you're playing music all the time with your buddies you just start to pick yep. up a little bit of everything that's exactly what happens I was doing uh, there was uh, back in college I was doing I was playing for I was playing I was playing my wife's church on Sundays. I rehearsed for her church on Tuesdays. I rehearsed for my church on Thursdays. I was doing youth group on Wednesdays. I was doing Campus Crusade for Christ on Fridays. So, like, 
probably five out of my uh, five or six out of a, of a seven day week, I was out somewhere either playing or practicing. And what ended up happening is like you get together and a lot of the guys were rotating from one group to the other as well. So then somebody wouldn't show up and they'd be like, oh, we need somebody to fill out on acoustic guitar. And I'm like, I'll learn. Show me. And you pick up a couple chords and it's like, well, it's pretty easy to go from that to electric guitar. Well, it's pretty yeah. easy to go from that to bass. And, and so then you just kind of work your way around. Yeah, that's where it started for me too. Uh, somebody didn't show up for uh, the youth group band one time, uh -huh. and they're yeah. like, "Ryan, you can sing. Why don't you come sing?" And then, and then yeah, I escalated like you I don't talked sing. about. I, I don't sing. Like I, it, uh, if I sing, like people, like they, they, they start like evacuating the building. They think sirens are going up. There's a <laughs> Dude, you know what the worst thing ever is, and I, I kind of wonder if you're not dealing with this a little bit. What is it? Do you have anything that? Uh, Oh, see, oh, I gotta show my pants. No, I got. Jeez, I'm getting inflexible. You know, oh my God, pants. I'm sitting down too much. What were you gonna say? Do you did you do you find that like everything gets hosed when you move? Like I can't sign into any of my banking stuff half the time because they, I put in my address and they're like, this is not the address. That oh we had. We had my God! Even though I updated all that crap, that and then is and then, and a like, year-long process for me. Did you, did you live anywhere else in the last two years? And I'm like, yes. Then they're like, and, and then I enter all that information. Then they go, we're gonna have a representative contact. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Then why did I enter all that? So stuff? first of all, I'm homeless. I'm not allowed to live from an RV. So I have to pretend like I live at the studio in order to get any of this shit taken care of. And let right. me tell you how many times I've had to tell some of these. It's a major problem, though. It's a major problem. And on top of that, I'll tell you what. I don't want any of this stuff. I don't want to, like, like, I don't want to have to deal with, I don't want mail. I don't want mail. Yeah, yeah. Dude, you know what I'm looking for? Here, million dollar idea coming to you from live from the Linux Action Show right now. Right <laughs> I'm serious. I've been looking all over for a service like this, and I, I have a feeling it exists because this is, it, somebody has to, the entire world of 4.3 billion people can't be this dumb that nobody has thought of this. It's more than 4.3 billion. It's, whatever. There has to be a service where I can list a, a mailing address as my mailing address and then just open all my mail Put it on a scanner, scan it, email that shit. Those do exist because I've seen full timers talking about it before. Because yeah, I need that. But I can't That's find it. I, I can't find it. Well, here's I can't either. And the, and the other thing is, you have to find a way that when you get a like a card, like a package, like if I get an ATM card, you have to overnight that crap to me. And I don't care if it costs me twenty bucks every time that happens, because I rarely get anything in the mail that yeah. I care about. Yeah.